All right, happy Mother's Day. Well, hello. Let's be a little more enthusiastic about that. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's yes, exactly. And if you um, missed it, um, we know that this can be a painful day for many people. Maybe you lost um, a child or a mom this year. Maybe you are um, desiring to be a mom and that's uh, just not going the way you anticipated. Um, and we have this bouquet here um, really in honor of that. Uh, we, we, are, we are so thankful for our moms, but we also know, know that it's a painful time for many. And uh, so we are um, we're thinking of you. And so, uh, in fact, we're going to look at a story that, that uh, you know, Abram and his wife, Sarah, who are in that same place. They, they want to have kids and can't. And in those, in those times, that was a real um, strike because it meant, meant uh, you know, my lineage is stopping. And it was a very patriarchal, uh, patri- patriarchal society. And that was... Um, there was kind of a shame that went around with that. And, um, and we don't have that today, but it can be, it can feel that same way. And um, so anyway, I'm praying for you and thinking of you today. Um, we, we are back in the book of Genesis and we did the first 11 chapters headed into Easter and then we took a break for Peace of Mind series and now we're back into Genesis. We're gonna start with chapter 12 and it, it introduces the second half, you know, thematically of Genesis. Now, Genesis is a book of foundations. It's telling us really, it's, it's teaching us really important worldview questions. It's answering them for us. And so it is a book of hope. It is Moses writing um, to the children of Israel. And he's saying, hey, this is where you came from. This is, this is who our God is. And this is how we got here. And so here's some of the, um, the foundational questions of hope that Genesis teaches us. It teaches us about God, who he is, what he's done. What's his character? Who is God really like? Um, what things are we thinking about God that are wrong, that are misrepresenting God, that we need to correct in our thinking? It teaches us about humanity, about ourselves. Is our life an accident? Is there a purpose and meaning to our life? Um, why is there an emptiness maybe in our life? What am I searching for? What that, the answer to that is? And where is, where is my hope? And what's my community? Where do I belong? Um, really big life questions. And then the world. Um, what's wrong with it? Why do we see such incredible beauty and then at the same time we see such evil? What's the explanation of that? Is there hope? For the world, how? When's, how's it going to happen? And what is that hope? And Genesis helps um, helps us begin understanding those things. I've heard the Bible explain like um, the, the stages of a rose. You know, at first it's seed form, and then it's a bud. And you know, just even as a seed, everything that, that rose is going to be, it's all there. It's just. Uh, not as visible yet. And then there's a bud and then we get into the New Testament and we see how God's plan is more and more fully explained and understood. And Genesis begins that process of understanding God, who he is, what he's done, um, why he's done it and who we are. And so that's what we've been given. Now, Genesis chapter 12 changes the focus to hey, here's the beginning of the hope. Here's the beginning explanation of, of God's plan to uh, 
to redeem us, to make things right, which has already been broken. And it, it introduces us to the patriarchs, the people that God promised and says, I'm gonna bring hope through you. And, and specifically Abraham, he starts with Abraham and he says, I'm gonna bring hope to all men, all women, all humanity through your line. Okay, and so uh, the second half of Genesis often is referred to as the patriarchs. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Joseph is really gonna take up the rest of the book of Genesis. It's also referred to as the covenant, um, where the Abrahamic covenant is made by God to Abraham. And we're gonna begin to see that today. All right, Abraham. Uh, he's introduced to us as Abram. Later on, God changes his name, and we'll, we'll go over that. But it, it could be argued that there is no person in human history outside of Jesus that is mo more influential in all of human history. Um, Abraham is mentioned throughout the Bible, hundreds of times throughout the Bible, uh, many, many times in the New Testament. 11 of the 27 books of the New Testament talk about Abraham, refer back to Abraham. All the Gospels, which is focusing on, on uh, the ministry of Jesus, they all mention Abraham. In Galatians, it says not only is Abraham the father of um, Judaism, but he's the father of all people who place their faith in God. So he's the father of faith. You know that 60% of all religions today point back to Abraham as the father of their faith. Pretty influential. I mean, ongoing influence. He existed about 4,000 years ago. Um, Christianity obviously points back to him because through the line of Abraham came the Messiah, Jesus our ultimate hope to being made right with God and being all that God made us to be. Judaism shows um, Abraham as their father because he birthed the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, okay? And so Christianity, Judaism, Islam points back to Abraham. Um, in the line of Abraham, you know, eventually, you know, came um, according to the Quran, uh, came Muhammad, the great prophet for Islam. Um, the ba ongoing battles to this day between um, Israel and the Arab nations um, goes back to Abraham. Because Abraham had a couple of kids. He had several kids, but two of his son, um, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, God told Abraham that I want you to take one of your sons and I want you to go up to Mount, um, the Mount which is now Jerusalem, which it's where the Temple Mount is, and I want you to sacrifice your son there. And it's like, what in the world is he doing? But Abram uh, trusted the promises of God. And he said, somehow this is gonna turn out okay. And he went and he lays his son Isaac on the altar and God stops him there. Islam believes Abram laid his son Ishmael on the altar. And right now, if you go to Jerusalem and you see the Temple Mount, there is a big structure, big beautiful structure on top of the Temple Mount called Dome of the Rock. It's one of the holiest sites in all of Islam. Um, uh, Muslims believe that that is the place where Abraham offered 
Ishmael up to be sacrificed. And so the Quran changes what the Hebrew Bible has said and changes the son. And the descendants of that are the Arab nations. The descendants of, of Isaac is the, um, is the Jewish nation, okay, the Hebrew people. Um, so the ongoing impact of the life of Abram is felt and very relevant this day. I mean, the division that's felt that we have seen even the last few weeks between, you know, the Gaza Strip and, and um, in Israel, which, you know, they're lobbing bombs back across each other and um, goes back to Abraham. And so we're going to get to know him. It, it took 11 chapters to get to, get to Abraham in uh, in Genesis, and now the th next 13 chapters are going to be on his life. And so um, let's look at this man. He's introduced actually in the end of chapter 11. The end of chapter 11 tells us um, that uh, Abram was from Ur of the Chaldeans, that he, was, he took a wife named Sarai. Her name later is, is changed to Sarah. Um, that, uh, let's see, what else about him? That, that he has a brother who died at an early age um, after he had children. And so Abram basically helped raise his brother's, his dead brother's son named Lot, okay? And it says, as I said, that he's married to Sarai and that she's barren. And so they, they've been unable to have children, all right? So, um, a lot of times we think of Abram. Okay, what's Abram's nationality? And we think, well, obviously he's Jewish. You know, he, uh, and, and it's like, no, they didn't exist yet. All right, he's the beginning of that nation. But um, Abraham, Abram was Babylonian. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans. That is about 200 miles south of Baghdad. Um, and we're fortunate enough today to have a lot of archaeology that has been done um, on Ur. And we know that that was a place that was, uh, there was a university there, a highly educated, um, progressive society, uh, astronomy, uh, math, arts were uh, big deals in education and in, in the society in Ur. They were also a hub of pagan worship. Um, if you remember back to 10 and 11, where it talked about the Tower of Babel. And if you remember, we talked about how in pagan worship, they'd have a pagan temple, and then they'd have a tower next to it. And that tower was to reach up into the heavens, and it's like we're making it easier for the pagan gods to come down and be worshiped at the temple next to it. Okay, And that's what the Tower of Babel was. Well, in Ur, they have found that that's called a ziggurat, and they have found the base and the building stones of the ziggurat in Ur. And so Abraham comes from a pagan worshiping family. And we know that because in Joshua chapter 20, 24, verse 2, um, Joshua is speaking, he says to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the gospel, or the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, who's Abraham's dad, the father of Abraham and Nahor, um, and they served other gods. And so the first thing that I'm looking here, where I'm going, okay, God picked Abraham, Abram. And so what were the qualifications that Abram brought with him? Well, he comes from a, 
a long heritage of worshiping false gods. He is going to be the father of God's chosen people, and yet he's unable to have children. And so what special qualifications does Abraham bring to the table? Nothing. And so the, the very first thing that we're hit with is, is we look at somebody like Abraham or Moses in the Bible and we think, oh man, those people are unique. They're not like me. And, and God is just telling us right out of the gate, you know, I chose Abraham and what makes Abraham great is God, not Abraham. And so God pursues us and he offers grace to us even with our foibles, even with our flaws, even if with the pain and the stupid things we've done in our past. And there's no doubt people here today who are thinking, I know I believe in God and I, I believe that he's pursuing me and I'm on this journey. But let me tell you, the, the thing that stops me from going all in is you know, the people in this room, they don't know me. And if they did know me, they would say, uh, you need to leave. And, and I want you to hear, if, if you hear nothing else today, um, what qualifies me to be a, be a child of God is not me. It is the grace of God. And the grace of God means it's extended to people who don't deserve it. That's what grace means. And if you sense that God's pursuing you and you know he's there and you know he's real, but you've been thinking, ah, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't choose somebody like me. Yeah, you're just like Abram. You're just like Abram. You don't deserve it, but none of us do. And he says, and God just says, trust me, trust me. Trust that my grace is sufficient for you. And that makes you worthy to be my child. If you trust in me alone for your salvation. And that's who we have here in Abraham. And if you don't believe that um, he's not a mess, then uh, let's just read the rest of Genesis 12. Um, here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I show you. And so here's the first thing that we're going to, uh, the first half of Genesis, it starts out well. And here's the point, is God's grace in our response. And our response is to trust God and his promises which means going without fully knowing. Going without fully knowing. It's saying, um, you know, Abram didn't really understand. I mean, he knew all these other gods and he was worshiping these other gods and now a God that maybe he's not very familiar with at all comes and reveals himself as the God and starts talking to him. And Abram responded and believed with the very little that he knew. Now, now let's keep looking. Now this is, the next two verses are God telling Abram, here's my promise to you. And this is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, which is a very important thing for, to understand. And we're in, in Genesis 15 is where it all comes together. And so we'll, we'll talk about that more fully then. But right now, look at who the promises are to and who the promises are dependent upon. So this is God. And he's saying, I will make you a great nation. Abram's going, I don't know if I understood that right because we're barren, we don't have kids. And you're saying there's gonna be a great nation from us? 
And God's saying, yes, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Bless means I will, um, I will help you to prosper and I will protect you, okay? And so he says, I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. That is a, a promise to Abraham that actually helped shape um, U.S. foreign policy. Because it used to be that it was kind of a given that everybody who was, um, ha had a Christian ethic and they knew this promise from God to the Jewish nation and that God would bless people who bless them. And that actually made it to our country and it helped shape our policy towards Israel. I will bless who bless you and I will bless those who bless you, which means I will have my favor and protection on them. And whom, him who dishonors you, I will curse, which means God's favor and protection will be lifted or removed from them. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. And that is the ultimate promise that, that Abram, through your descendants, is coming the hope to all people. And we believe that that was the fact that in Abraham's descendants came Jesus, who was our hope, who was based upon who he is and what he did, brings all of us hope that we can be forgiven and, unite, and reunited with God. And so that is, that is the Abrahamic covenant. Um, God says, I will five times. He gives um, promises to Abram. And so he says, that's what I'm telling you. Now I want you to leave your country, your country and all your gods, all these gods who are, who are proximity focused. And so you leave your people, you leave your country, you're leaving your gods behind. He's saying, I want you, I, I'm asking you to leave your whole, your whole belief system of the past and now follow me. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave your inheritance. And I want you to follow me. Abram's 75 years old when God gives that promise. Now, one of the things that I think when I'm reading this stuff to um, you know, the patriarchs of our faith is you know, if God came to me and said, hey, this is my promise for you, Bill. And so now I want you to follow me. I think, well, I would do that. Because, I mean, obviously he came and he spoke to me. And so, you know, Abram was so lucky to have that happen. And so God says, I spoke to Abram that way. And how do I speak to you? I am revealing myself to you through this book called the Bible and through creation all around you. And follow me as I reveal myself to you. Do you think Abram would have really loved to have the book of the Bible? Yeah. You know why? Because we have more direct revelation from God than he had. He had three verses. Three verses from God to him that stand in the face of all that he believed before. And he says, here's my promises to you. Now leave everything that you know and follow me and I'm not telling you where you're going. Three verses. I can just about guarantee everybody here, no matter what your spiritual journey is, you have more of an understanding of who God is and what God wants of you than Abram had. And so we just can't sit back and say, oh, well, it wouldn't it be nice if God revealed himself to me. 
He has. And so what's our response? Trusting in God means I'm, gonna, I'm going to follow him and his promises and follow him and go even when I don't know exactly where this is going to end up. I'm going to trust God. And sometimes we just kind of give ourselves excuses, give ourselves, hey, I, you know, I don't really have to be as zealous as Abraham was because he was like given three verses. And uh, man, I think Abraham would have loved to have been in our shoes what's available to us as far as our understanding of God and his plans. Go, and Abraham went. Verse four, and Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Bummer. Um, you know, I think it would have been great if Abraham said, you know, hey, uh, okay, I'm taking off and I'm going and God's talked to me and uh, Lot, yeah, you need to uh, like stay here because um, Lot's a problem and we're gonna, um, and Lot's a lot to deal with and we're gonna find that out a little bit later. But Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Great start, going without knowing, trusting the promises of God and then as soon as you start doubting them, Enter the problems. And actually there's gonna be problems even when you, prom when you follow God's promises. And that's what the second half of Genesis chapter 12 is. Great start, but then problems. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram leaves everything, goes and starts following according to what God says, gets to Canaan, God said this is the place. This is a place that I'm gonna give your descendants, okay? This is a land I promise you. He's in Canaan, Canaan. he's actually in um, the Negev, which is the south of Israel, um, as we know it today. And uh, remember last week, if you were here, we talked about Elijah and how Elijah ran for his life and he, and he ran 100 miles and he ended up in Beersheba. That's the Negev, okay? And so in the Negev is where Abraham's going to eventually really establish his family. And, um, and so it's in the south of Israel. So when he gets there to the promised land, there's a famine. There's a famine. And he's going, what's going on? Did I do something wrong, God? I mean, this, you said you were going to prosper me and protect me, and I followed you, and now I'm in a land of famine. Did I miss something? And it says, so Abraham went to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So you ever been where, where Abram was? Saying, hey God, I'm following you. I'm really sincerely with my heart, I'm trying to follow you. And I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I am constantly worried about can I pay the bills? Can, can I provide for my family? And I kind of feel like if I'm seeking to follow you that I wouldn't be in this place. And so life is hard, God, and this just doesn't seem to mesh. And Abraham would, or Abram would have been thinking the same thing. I'm following you, I've left my home, I've left my family, I've left friends, I've left a lot of my wealth behind. And, uh, and now I'm in a land where there's a famine. And I'm not very comfortable with that. 
because I'm from a land of Ur that had the Tigris and Euphrates River. It kind of helped us be a little bit famine proof because we had a constant source of, of water. You know, Egypt, we're right across the border here, it has a Nile River. Like, are you sure you're not saying go to the Egypt? Because this land is kind of deserty and there's a lot of rocks and it's dependent upon rain primarily. And you just look around, it's like, I don't see a lot of rain. When the first time I went to Israel, um, in the bus one day and it's raining and I'm going, ugh, you know, I'm in a desert and it's raining. And the tour guy gets up and said, oh, the blessings of God. He's shining, he's smiling upon us. I don't know what, it's like they're dependent upon rain. Okay, they're dependent upon rain for their crops. And, and, uh, and well, actually, to be honest with you, when she was saying that, our guide was saying that, I was thinking, man, you should see where I live. <laughs> we are so blessed. Um, but, I mean, that was, so he was in a land dependent upon rain. There was a drought. There was famine. And he's just doubting God. He's doubting God. Going, okay, I thought I understood. Did I understand your three verses right? Am I getting it wrong? What's going on here? And I know you and I can feel the same way. And so if you're following God and you're going through tough times, what do you do about that? What do you, how does that make sense? And, and here's my advice to you, and you're, you're, you're not going to like it. But here's my advice, and, and I think it's true all throughout Scripture, is when you're following God, and you're going through a difficult season, a hard season of life, and you're feeling a lot of stress and you feel like it's unrelenting. Get used to it. That's life following Jesus. It's life when you're not following Jesus. But in this life, there will be many trials and tribulations. We live in a broken world Life is hard. I mean, I, I dare you just to put your, Bible, your finger in the Bible and open it up and read about the people, whatever time and era it's talking about, and they're going through hard times. Most often they're going through times where they're living a life of trying to trust God when nobody else around them, it feels like nobody else around them is doing it. A time when they're trying to teach their kids how to follow God when nobody else is, is teaching their kids how to follow God. In fact, they're teaching them to follow other guys, gods that stand in opposition to the God that is apparent. You're saying, it's the real God we want to follow. So life is hard. And walking with Jesus doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to be freed from the difficulty of life. But it does mean if you follow Jesus, you will see the blessings of following him. But it doesn't mean all of a sudden you're, you escape all difficulty. And we tend to think that if I'm really following God, then my life will be easier. I will have less calamity. Um, I will be protected and I will be isolated. And we actually sometimes go in those two directions saying, I'm going to isolate myself from this evil world and, um, or I'm going to try to escape and we just all of a sudden, we become students of the end times and because uh, my hope is not in this world, my hope is to be raptured from this world. And ultimately that is our hope, to be with God for all eternity, that is beautiful. But he says, while you're here, 
you need to engage. Engage in this world. Don't isolate, don't escape. Engage in this world while honoring me with your life. So how do I engage? How do I, how do I think love and live like Jesus in a world that um, I feel like is, it's, I'm swimming uphill? And that, that's a life of honoring God. That's a life of making difficult decisions that don't take you out of the game, but actually keep you in the game. And you're trusting in God, even though it's hard. I mean, th there we go. That, that's the life we have, to, we have to model our children. If we're telling our kids about God and that he's real and that you want to walk with him and he's worth walking with, then you need to model how you stay engaged with a world that is running contrary to many of the things that are, that are foundational in your faith. And yet you stay engaged with love and care for others, knowing that one of the ways God is going to bless the world is by using his followers to get the good news out. And so how do you stay engaged and yet live a life that's honoring to God? Engage and not, not sin. I mean, I, I wish there was just like, hey, do these three things and then you're, you're, you're bulletproof. No, it, it, it's, it's the journey of trusting God, of learning his truth and not compromising it while engaging and loving others who are running in a direction different than you. And so how do you do that? Man, that, that's wisdom. I, I can tell you all the ways I've done that poorly. Not all of them. The ones I'm aware of. And there's plenty. Things I regret. But it's part of the way that God grew me up in knowing how, how can I stay engaged and love people at the same time while they're standing for truths that are, that are not good for how God made us and not good for human flourishing. So how do I keep them the truth and how do I stay engaged? And that's what Abram needed to do. Instead of it, he, he said, okay, uh, there's lots of problems. I'm gonna take, I'll take it from here, God. I'll take it from here. I'm, I'm gonna do what I think is gonna make my family okay. So, verse 11. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, and now listen to this. I mean, this is, you think, oh man, what an idol of our faith. You know, what, what a hero of our faith Abram is. Well, you know, read this and then think about that. He said to his wife, Sarah, I know that you are, that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Okay, that's good. That's good. That, that's a good thing to say to your wife. But then the next part, not so much. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So let's say you're my sister, that it may be well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And so what he's saying is, in, in kings and in, in emperors and pharaohs of that day had... Uh, an abusive power where they got what they wanted. And so um, they would build harems. And, it, and they were patriot, you know, patriarchal society. There was a lot of messed up stuff in it. And one of them was those uh, pharaoh in Egypt could say, there is a beautiful woman. I want to add her to my household. 
Oh, she's married? Well, kill him. And I want her in my household. And so Abram's thinking, once they get their eyes on Sarah, uh, she's beautiful. And so I, I want to stay alive. And so Sarah, tell you what, um, I'm going to give you, let's just know that you're going to have to be Pharaoh's wife among his many. And, uh, but if, if, if they think you're, I'm your brother, they'll let me live. And he's thinking, and it's pretty much true. Well, because here's another weird thing. Abraham's dad and Sarai's dad, same dad, different moms. Okay? And so, uh, so they, in a sense, are brother and sister, but not, you know, really half brother and sister. And they're married. And so Abram's going, oh, it's just a white lie. Oh, it's, you know, kind of true. No, it's a lie. He's misleading. Okay? And so that's what their plan is. And I'm thinking, Abram, the father of our faith. Hmm. So they get to Egypt. And, uh, well, first of all, let me try to answer a question that I always have when I'm looking at this. Sarah, she's 65 years old. So I'm thinking, Pharaoh, when he's got an eye out for you know, beautiful women, he's probably not looking at the 60-somethings. Okay? And uh, I, the 60, I'm, I'm married to a 60-some you know, age woman, and she's beautiful. And so I'm not, you know, but I'm saying that it doesn't make complete sense. Okay? And so here... I haven't read a good explanation, and so I'm giving you mine, okay? Is uh, people in that day lived longer. I mean, Sarah's dad lived till uh, he was 205. Like, I think the the oldest person just died recently was 122. Okay, the lifespan was longer. Um, Sarah's, uh, let's see, her grandpa lived 148 years old. And so if Sarah's 65, and let's say their lifespan, average lifespan is 150. Our, ad, our average lifespan, they say, is, is about 80. So, so if she's 65, average lifespan 150, then in our world, that's about the equivalent of a 35-year-old. Okay, did you follow me? How I got there? I don't know if that's a complete, accurate comparison. But if she's, had, if she's lived 40-some percent of her life, or 40, you know, then that would make her about 35 if we're living about 40-some percent of our life. Okay? So that gives you some understanding. Uh, some things that I've read says that Egyptian men favored Semite women, and it was because, and, and those were Arab women, because they, had, uh, they were darker in complexion. They, um, they wore face coverings, and so their face were always covered out in, in, in the open, and so they protected themselves from the element, and so they weathered more slowly. Here's the quote. I didn't say it. They said it. Egyptian women, evidently, as a result, they faded early. Um, so Egyptian women did not wear a veil, but women in Asia did. 
the Semite women, they were, and they were, the skin was protected, and so they were more desirable by Egyptian men. Okay, so there I just gave you my best shot at understanding what's happening when Abraham's telling his 65-year-old wife, hey, you're going to be turning heads, and uh, you're going to be desirable. And, uh, and, and there's other people that wrote, from, and they had um, some extra-biblical uh, writings that talk about the legend of Sarah and her beauty. Okay, so that's Abram's plan. They get to Egypt. It works. People start coming, coming to Pharaoh and saying, hey, there's, there's a new woman in town that is knocked down gorgeous. And he says, okay, well, let me see her. And then uh, they bring her, and, and, and this is terrible. This is, you know, objectifying. This is everything. There's so much wrong with it. The Bible gives us real accounts of what was going on. It's not backing those accounts. And in fact, in patriarchal society um, and uh, multiple wives, and you, you start looking at the impact of those, and it's disastrous. It's disastrous always. Um, you look, patriarchal society, many of these families that God uses, um, how many of them were great, healthy families? You know, let's just start listing off all the healthy families in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to define one. And they're, in a, they're living in a society and they're being, they're being swept up in some cultural things and, um, that, that are wrong and are living in a way that's not honoring to God and they pay the price for it. But Pharaoh brings Sarah into his household and, uh, and Abram's thinking, I love it when a plan comes together. And, but here's the truth is God's grace in our response. Doubt leads to disobedience, and that's always dangerous. That's always dangerous. Let me just tell you what happens is Pharaoh's household gets sick, and his friends get sick, and there's a plague on his household, and somehow he puts, he connects the dots, and he said, this all started happening when I took Sarah, Sarah in my household, and something's messed up, and evidently somebody finally told him, well, you know, you took a married woman, and that's, you know, his, her half-brother, but it's, but it's his wife that you took. And he, he goes, okay, get them out of here. You know, they, 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 their gods are plaguing us, get them out of here. And he could have easily just wiped them out and killed them. God protected them, and the, you know, God's promise, and he protected them, and they, they get booted out of Egypt. And you might be thinking, well, you know, Abram got off pretty easy. I'm thinking um, of the walk back to Israel, the promised land. And I'm thinking that was pretty quiet. What's Sarah thinking about her husband? Seriously, that's what you think of me? I mean, you value me that much? How, how can I trust you? How about all these other people that are in their caravan who heard of those three, those three verses with the promises of God that Abraham said, I'm banking my life on it. I'm trusting God, follow me. And they are following him and now they're going, did you see what he did? I mean, did God tell him to do that? Is this just how a follower of God, of, of Abraham's God lives? Is he okay with that? 
Any of you been somewhere, a party or someplace, and, you, and you, you did something that was just stupid in front of your spouse, and then you drive home, and it's pretty quiet? Am I alone? <laughs> uh, man, you know, I, I, I'm stupid. I mean, I, I didn't honor you right. Um... Um, I blew it. Man, I'm not sure how, how Abram is thinking about that. But, you know, the Bible says, you know, in our own eyes, our actions are justified, but they lead to death. You know, when I, when I live a way that I think I know better than God, um, it hurts. It hurts me, but here's the deal. It hurts more than me. The consequences of my sin are not just mine. They hurt people I love and I care for. And Abram's decisions hurt his family, hurt his reputation, hurt his marriage. And it does the same thing to us. When we say, I got a God, I know better than you. I gotta figure this out because obviously something's messed up because if, if you were really um, blessing my faithfulness to you, I wouldn't be in this situation. And so I got it, I'm taking it from here. And God says, man, it, it, you're headed to a place where not only are you trusting yourself more than me, but there's gonna be consequences. And there are gonna be consequences on more than just you. So trust me, follow me. Abram, the father, father of our faith. And one of the things he's saying to me is, so you're saying I got a chance. <laughs> it's like God used Abram in spite of himself to, to, to do great things to him. And once he did this stupid thing, God didn't say I'm done with you. He's saying, get your trust back in me. Repent. And I'm going to keep you on plan A. I'm not relegating you down to plan C or D or E or F for your life. That's how great my grace is. My grace overcomes. Trust me. Trust me. Maybe that's where you're at today. And uh, you know that in some difficult parts of your life, you are uh, holding on control because you don't trust God. You trust yourself more. And God's saying, no, nah, that's going to have bad consequences. Trust me. Follow me. And so we need to repent. We need to say, God, I, I, I want to follow you. And I repent of going this way away from you, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to follow you. How's that look in your life? You're thinking of, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing specific instances in your life right now where it's like, I need to get back to trusting you. And maybe you're one that, uh, it's like you nailed me earlier, Bill. Um, I, I know God's calling me. I know God loves me. Um, but I just can't understand how he would accept me. And the truth is, you're just like Abraham, and God chose Abram. He said, I'm choosing you because of my grace. Trust in me and what I've done for you. And for Abraham, they're looking ahead to how he, God was going to bring hope to the world. And for you and I, we look back to Jesus Christ. And he's our hope. He's God in the flesh, lived a life 
perfectly to God the Father and then died for our sin, the consequences of our rebellion against God, Jesus took on himself and paid the price so that God could say, I offer you freely, I offer forgiveness if you trust in what I've done for you. And if that's where you're at, I encourage you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray and let's let God know that in my journey, this is where I'm at. So you can talk to God and say something like, God I, God, I know that you love me and you've been pursuing me. I do believe that you are real and that you're the one that makes sense, that uh, makes sense of what this world is and how we got here and that you're our hope. And so today I recognize that um, my relationship with you is not dependent upon how good I am but it's really dependent upon how good you are and that you offer grace and forgiveness to me. And so I trust in you and what you've done for me so that I can be forgiven. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your pursuit of me. And I I thank you that that I'm known, I'm seen by you, and I'm loved by you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. If you just prayed along with me, then I'm gonna ask you to do a a favor for me and really a favor for yourself. And and it's simple and it's easy, but as soon as we're done here, we're dismissed, go out those center doors and there's um, some tables in the middle of the atrium there and just let them know, hey, today I I prayed along with Bill today and they will understand that and they will get you some information. That information will give you a couple verses that help you just get um, reconnected to the decision that you made today and then give you some ideas about how do I begin growing this new relationship with God and getting to know him more and, and walking with him in life. And so it'll give you just some practical ideas. If you're online, um, you can go to rollinghills.org slash next steps and let us know that, that uh, you made that decision today and let us know how we can get that information to you and we will do that. And now we get to uh, celebrate God and how good he is to us as we continue to worship as we sing.